And if you have your Bible, if you would go to Romans 12, Romans chapter 12. I'm going to read verse number 1, then we'll jump to verse 9 for our main text. But to give us just a little bit of a background as we go into this two-part message. Paul begins by writing, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship, living sacrifices. Now, verse 9, Paul writes, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another and do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. We want to spend the next couple of weeks, Lord willing, with a message entitled, Marks of a Living Sacrifice. Marks of a Living Sacrifice. We know that it is one thing to profess that we love God, but it's another thing to demonstrate or express that love in a truly biblical way. If we are to be living sacrifices unto God, our lives need to take on characteristics that mark us out as His. Like designer clothing typically has a, a label to it. A label, amen? And, and, and you know, you look at something and when it's spelled wrong, you knock off, right? You know, sometimes you see it. It's, it's a phony. It's a fake. And, and God said, I don't want any um, phonies and fakes. Let's get the real thing. Let's get the genuine article. And we'll see these marks, six marks that Paul gives us, and we'll cover them in two weeks. And these are marks of the real thing. Paul says, if you're the genuine, these marks will be clearly witnessed and practiced in your life. So in this message, we're going to look at an individual marks of a person who has committed himself wholly to Jesus Christ as a living sacrifice. What does such a person look like? Because you know in this present world that is morally dark and getting darker, such a person should really stand out clearly. Like Paul said, like stars shining in the night. So again, in these next two weeks, we'll cover six marks that are found in our text. Let's look at them all first before we get going. We're going to look at in these next two weeks. Number one, a living sacrifice is marked by authentic love for God's people. Authentic love for God's people. We talked last week about the love of God for us. And once we receive that love, then we release that love. And one mark that you will notice in someone that's a living sacrifice, they have an authentic love for the people of God. Secondly, they have an absolute standard of morality. There's an absolute Bible standard of morality. Number three, there'll be a zeal or an enthusiasm. For Jesus Christ, they're not ashamed of the gospel. Amen. And there's an excitement and a passion about life. Life brings, amen. And number four, there are people that have faith under fire. Amen. A lot of phonies get exposed when the heat gets hot. Isn't that right? I mean, a lot of things, you know, you put a little, put, put them in the oven just a bit and they crack too quick. But the real stuff, 
It just gets shinier. It just gets stronger. And that child of God that is a living sacrifice, they will demonstrate in their lives a faith under fire. You can watch them when they're going through it. Oh, it's a witness and an encouragement. And number five, number five, not only they are generous in ministry to others. Selfishness is not part of that living sacrifice. That true disciple of Jesus Christ, they get on the heart and the spirit of Jesus and they're givers. Amen. They, they come about not to be served, but to serve and give of themselves. So they generous ministry to others. And lastly, there is an active pursuit of unity. They love the brethren. They strive for harmony with the brethren. They recognize God, how he thinks about that. And they're in sync with God. Living sacrifice is in sync with God. Hallelujah. So number one, this life, this person is marked by, number one, an authentic love for God's people. Verse 9a and verse 10. Paul writes, love must be sincere without hypocrisy. Verse 10, he says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love and honor one another above yourselves. Now, it's not surprising that love would be the first characteristic that Paul focuses on. I mean, people wholly committed to the Lord Jesus should be marked by that same love that marked the life of Jesus. And so, number one, I want you to notice the first sub-point, the, the commandment, the commandment to love one another. One another is written three times in just our few verses and in our text. And this whole section actually is about the reciprocal relationship in the body of Christ. Earlier in verse 5, Paul was to write that those of us that are saved, that are in Christ, we are members one of another. We belong to each other and we minister to one another. And love is that key component. Love is that ultimate part of our relationship with one another. In fact, more than 50 times the command to love is given in the New Testament. Expressing to you and I that it's not an option. It's a command of God that we are to be those that walk in love one towards another. You know, when Jesus was asked to name the greatest commandment, he said there's actually two of them. And he said the first one is to love God with all your heart and all your soul. But the second one is to love your neighbor as yourself. And love is at the heart of the Word of God. And love is to be at the heart of every Christian. Jesus said it is the badge of our discipleship, how we love one another. When you're looking for that designer mark, if you don't see love, something's going to miss. Jesus said, if you want to look, is that, is that the real deal? Is that, is that a knockoff? Amen. Did they buy that off some guy in the corner with a van? Or did they go and get that purse? Is it the real deal? And you're looking for love. Amen. Someone say amen. amen. John 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus writes, this is a new command I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another by this. All men will know that you are my disciples. There it is. Go back to verse 34 so everybody could read it. Would you a new command? I give you love one another as I have loved you following his pattern, imitating the life of the one we love and give our hearts to as I have loved you. So you must. Love one another by this, by this sign, by this demonstration. 
By this will all men know that you really belong to me, that you're my disciples, if you love one another. You know, many years later in 1 John, John the Apostle, he writes in the fourth chapter and he pretty much um, explains that if we fail to love our brother, doubt is actually cast upon our profession of love for God. So number one, the sub-point here, when the, the living sacrifice loves the brethren, we recognize there's been a command to love the brethren. But we also see in our text, there's a criteria for our love for one another. See, love is primary, but if it's not a sincere love, it's not a real love, it becomes more of a pretense. But the controlling criteria of this love is that it be, the New King James would say, without hypocrisy. It's to be genuine, not an imitation knockoff. But it's to be, NIV says, sincere or real. Let's look at this word just a little deeper. It'll, it'll, it'll give us some kind of insight into the criteria that God desires His love to be. Because I'm not to love merely with my speech, but I'm to love with my life and my actions. Now, the NIV says sincere. Paul says love must be sincere. Now, our English word is based on a, a couple of Latin words. And the Latin words are simply without wax. Without wax. Not wax in your ear. Without wax. There's another, there's other scriptures that talk about that. But this is referring to the ancient practice of using wax to hide cracks in inferior pottery. Or in the little idols, you know, that maybe have a crack. You put some wax in it, then paint over it. And in those days without electricity, you come into the tent to buy some wares. I mean, it's easy to cover up what's inferior without wax. So what, in, in the ancient days, um, a quality items actually had a stamp. And it was sincera. S-I-N-E-C-E-R-A. In the Latin, that means without wax. And that was to show there's nothing hidden in this product. It has not been doctored. It is the genuine article. And since sincere love and sincere people are not hiding or covering or acting, but it's real and it's genuine and it flows from a heart that has been transformed by God's love within us. Now, that was the Latin. Now, the Greek take on this word is also interesting because the, the latter part of that word sincere, in the Greek, it gives us our English word hypocritical. And again, that describes a person that's insincere. And the background of that word is another interesting thing. It, it comes from the Greek drama or the Greek theater. And it spoke of an actor that would wear a mask or actually play a role. So Paul is telling the church that when we love one another, we are not to play a role, but we are to be genuine, we are to be real, and we are to be sincere. Because he's saying love and hypocrisy don't belong together. And like our Lord, we are to love from the heart. From the heart. Let's look at 1 Peter 1, 22 and 23. Because Peter also encouraged the believers to walk in that sincere love. And Peter says, Now that you've purified yourself by obeying the truth, you've received the gospel, you've obeyed the truth, so that you have, now you possess a sincere, a without wax, a genuine love, 
for your brothers. Therefore, let's love one another deeply and from the heart. And verse 23 tells us, for you have been born again. And that's important because the love I have for others is not coming from me. Not for most people. It has to come from the love of God within me. Amen? And we're going to see that as we walk along. But here Peter's explaining, because you've been born again. See, not a perishable seed, but of the imperishable through the living, enduring Word of God. You've been born again, so you have a new nature and a new that enables you to love people you might not otherwise have loved. Some of you might otherwise not even wanted to walk on the same side of the street. But then you find out they're one of His, and they belong to the family, and there is, and there is. I remember one, uh, must have been my first senior pastor. We were very young, and he was in a terrible part of town. Not so much a, a crime-ridden. Well, I had enough crime and violence and that. Not, but that wasn't the worst part. But it was just weird people, if I could use that terminology. I mean, it was, uh, you never knew what was going to walk in that door. Amen? And we were in a terrible part of town, warehouses. And, and I mean it. I mean, they'd walk in. And, and I, I mean, you know, I wouldn't have any kids at that time, so I wouldn't worry about them. But if I had them, I'd trust me, I'd be like, you better stay near Dad. That's all I'm going to say. You don't know what's walking in this door. The way they look, the way they, well, everything else, I won't go down that road. But I remember talking to the board, and I said, well, folks, there's only one answer to this. This day, we're, you know, greeting some of these people and what... Well, I think we ask God to fill us with so much of His love that whatever walks through that door, we can wrap our arms around and say, Welcome, brother. Welcome, sister. If they're not a believer, we can say, Welcome. Good to have you in God's house. Let us tell you about Jesus. I said, let's be honest. It's not in us. You know what I mean? Most of us come from nice churches, respectable, all nice families. They mostly come in families and most of them are doing pretty good. I mean, I don't know about you. That's where most of us have come from. And you get thrown into that thing, it's a little... And I said, oh, there's only one answer to keep us from being phony. Because that was one of the people's response. I find myself feeling like I'm a phony. I said, well, um, well, the answer is not to keep continuing. It's better acting at least nice. But the real answer, if you want to get to the ultimate level that God calls us to, is to get so full of the love of Jesus that it's no longer an act. It's a genuine and a sincere concern for other people. Because they also were made in the image of God and redeemed by that blood of their believers. Look at Romans 5 and 5. Romans 5 and 5. As we're going now, the first authentic mark of a living sacrifice. Not a lukewarm Christian. Not a mediocre believer. But someone that is that living sacrifice. Wholly devoted. Will be love for the brethren. An authentic love for the brethren. And we recognize that that's been commanded. We recognize the criteria is that it's just not in word, it's just not an outward thing, but it's sincere from the heart. And the third sub-point, and this verse is going to connect us together, the third sub-point is the challenge of that love. And we've kind of already touched on that, but there is a challenge to walking in the measure of love God's called us to walk in. And if you can't say amen, you're lying, you just compounded it. Don't lie now. All right, now, verse 5, here it is. And hope does not disappoint us because God, because God has, God has. Not someday he shall when I'm glorified, but God has presently poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. We want to say that before we get to the last subpoint simply because the ability and the capacity to love like Christ is here. It's not something he's asking me to develop myself. He said he poured it in my heart. 
So I have what I need, but in order to activate it, it's my choice and an act of my will to walk in this measure of love. Hang on to that for a minute. This is the challenge of our love to one another. The Scripture has called for love, but lest we be construed simply to think of it as an ideal, as something that we say, a philosophy, Paul has now put it in a living context. And you see that in verse 10 where he's saying, um, I want you to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor others. Prefer, put others before yourself. And we see here, love one another with brotherly affection. Brotherly affection is a patient love, a sacrificing love, a sincere love. It's an enduring love. It's a giving love. It's a commitment. It's joyful. It flows. Now listen, this is challenging. This is an act of my will, not in my Let me explain it to you. Can, I be, can we be honest? Are we allowed to be honest in God's house? Because the Bible does distinguish between um, family love with natural family and the love of, of, of God for the family of Christ. God understands there is a difference here. But what Paul's calling us to in our context is the same way you love those boys. You love someone else's boys that are in the house of God. In the same way you love them grandbabies, you love someone else's grandbabies. Now, that's a challenge. What do you mean? I've I got to be honest. I, I don't have to work too hard to love my wife or my boys. Amen? It just flows. One of those easy things. I mean, I don't have to will it. I'm going to make a choice to love today. Man, I'm telling you, that's not been my problem at all. Anybody? Isn't that right? I know some of you have them grandbabies. Isn't that true? You don't have to work it up. All grandkids are coming. Man, I'm going to have to act like I love them for two whole, three whole days that they're here. When are they going to leave? I, oh, man, you're psyched. You're pumped. Why couldn't you stay longer? Why couldn't you come sooner? And you just look at them, and this thing begins. Isn't that right? It flows. You didn't have to psych yourself up. You didn't have to pray through. God, help me to love. It just flows. It is so natural. In fact, I know most of you grandparents, you've got to watch yourself from spoiling them. Amen? This is just the naturalest thing. But someone else in the family of God, not so much. Anybody? Listen, can I quote Coach, Coach Lombardi? Am I allowed to quote? Let me quote Coach Lombardi. I'll tie it in. He told his team, he says, gentlemen, we will strive for excellence. No, perfection. We will strive for perfection. We will strive for perfection, knowing full well that that is impossible to obtain. But in our endeavor for perfection, we will reach excellence. So the Word of God is giving us something that even God knows, you know, but it's what we're shooting for. It's what we're running for. It's what we're believing to mature into. And in fact, I learned something as I studied this. I learned something interesting. Um, been in a lot of parts of the, co- the country, pastor in a lot of different areas. In the South, they tend to use the word for family. What do you use for family in the South? You, you there what? Kin. They're kin. They're kin. You don't hear that so much in the North here in the South. But as I was studying, I was surprised to see where it comes out in the Greek. Put the New King James up there. If you hear it, look at, he says, Be kindly affectionate toward one another, with brotherly love. So again, that same way you look at your grandbabies, you look at someone else's. Same way you look at your brother and sister in the natural, that's how you look at your brother in the Lord. That's the goal we're reaching for. 
The act of the will. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor giving preference to one another. And we see the word kindly. And the substance of that word is what? Kin. And that's where the word comes from in the Greek. Kindly affection. Brotherly family affection. In the same way you love your kin. You're to love your brother in the Lord that might not look like you, might not be your cup of tea, but God says a mark of a living sacrifice is that ability to will and allow that love of God in you to love the brethren just like you would love those in your natural family where one is so easy and the other at times it does take a bit of work. Amen? But God says let that be our goal. We might not reach it till we're glorified, but if we have that as our goal, we will overcome so many of the things that try to hinder the work of God and it will enable us to truly love others in that capacity that Christ has called us to. Can you say amen? Amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory to God. Again, um, kindly is based on the word kin, meaning family. We're exhorted to love and treat other Christians as we would members of our family. Okay, number one, the first mark of that living sacrifice is a life marked by sincere love for the people of God. Number two, the next mark that we see in, in Romans 12 is a life marked by Bible standards of morality and righteousness. Now, verse 9, look if you would at part B, the second part of verse 9. Right after Paul gets done saying love must be sincere without hypocrisy, he says, now, hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Interesting, interesting here. Besides being marked by love, the person who is a living sacrifice to God is to be marked by absolute standard of morality. Absolute standard. We that are sold out for Christ have given ourselves to the morality of God and the clear biblical teachings of right and wrong. And this kind of behavior in the sold out believer in church produces probably more anger and backlash from the world really than anything else. They don't mind us loving so much and they don't mind us reaching hurt and peace. But when it comes to this, this is typically where their fury of the fallen starts coming against the church. Because, number one, we claim exclusivity. We preach one God and one way to God. His name is Jesus Christ. And that's a life marked by standards of morality and right, biblical standards. Life marked by the standard of the Bible. We claim exclusivity. We challenge the sovereignty of man, and we defend the sovereignty of God. We declare there is a God, and men will stand before Him. Like Moses challenging Pharaoh, basically um, challenging his right to rule by saying there is a God that all of us must submit to and bow to. And again, the world, we not only claim, we not only challenge, but we lay claim to a higher morality by our confidence in our life committed to the morality of the Bible. We are a people that declare there is a right and there is a wrong. There are absolutes 
and we call men to Jesus Christ and his morality. Now, let's look at it like this. Love, interesting. Love, we learn from this scripture, is, in this sense, it's discriminating. It distinguishes. It differentiates. It's an interesting order that you see in the scripture here. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Love and hate, all in the same sentence here, all in the same verse. Two seemingly incompatible words, but of course we know they're not. The second part of this verse teaches us a very important truth. Real love does not love everything. On the contrary, it hates what is evil and clings to what is good. It is able to distinguish God's view and God's standard and God's definition and God's judgment and align itself with that. We see a life marked by Bible standards, a, a life that has an absolute standard of morality is one part of that living sacrifice. And we are to, sub-point one is to hate evil, sub-point two, to hold on to the good. We're to hate evil. The Bible is very clear that when we love God, we hate evil. We don't applaud it. We don't legislate it. We don't wink at it. We hate evil. Dr. David Jeremiah wrote, Far too many Christians have taken an attitude of tolerance towards evil. And it has infected their own lives. If we don't hate evil, we will endure it. And then we will pity it. And then we will embrace it. Now, time doesn't allow us to expand this section as long as we could. But let's take note. Psalm 97 and verse 10. Psalm 97 and verse 10. And the Bible says, Let those who love the Lord hate evil. Those that love God hate evil. For He guards the lives of His faithful ones. But let those who love the Lord hate evil. Not people, but the evil that controls them, deceives them, defiles them, and the evil that they do. We're not to sway away from the absolute standard of morality as found in the written Word of God. Psalm 119 and verse 89. Forever, O Lord, Your Word is settled in heaven. It's eternal and it stands forever. Men can vote on legislation. The media, entertainment and education of this world can do their very best to brainwash, deceive our youth and its culture. Men can say the book is outdated. It's morality no longer wanted, no longer needed. But the Creator has spoken. And He has clearly communicated His standard of morality and it's as unchanging and as eternal as God Himself. In the words of the ancient prophet Isaiah, still declare and boldly reveal the heart of the living God this very day. Isaiah 5 and 20, Woe unto them who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness, bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Therefore, we who are called by His name, we must be firm, consistent, unwavering in our commitment to the absolute standards of morality found in the written Word of God. Can you say Amen? Amen. John 17 and John 17, Jesus said it simply, Sanctify them. By your truth, 
And your word is your truth. So we recognize that another characteristic of a living sacrifice, one that is sold out to God, not only will they love the brethren, but they will have an absolute standard of morality. They will be men and women that stand with God when it comes to right and wrong, righteousness and sinfulness. And the Word of God says we hate evil. And then we hold the good. That second part, we hold on to the good. We have to strive and cling and give our best embrace and endeavor to hold on to that which is good and that which is noble, that which is of eternal value, that that which is virtuous. The Greek word rendered cling in some of its expressions means to glue, to glue. I mean, hang on to it like glue. And it's the idea that sincere love will bond us to that which is good. Good things and good works. And things that are pure, virtuous, and noble. This is important because often good has a way of slipping away, becoming neglected, becoming dislodged. We have to keep an effort to keep the good. Many times we see things that are no longer and it's because evil triumphs when good men do nothing. And not only that I hate the darkness, I must cling to the light. And I must do my best to keep the light bright. We must keep a firm hold, a grip, an effort, a diligence, committed towards what's good in the eyes of God. Remember that kind of a comical story of of a little boy that got his hand stuck in a pretty expensive Chinese vase that his mother had. And they tried everything to get that hand out. They couldn't do it. They tried putting butter in there. You know, everything you could slip it. Couldn't do it. Finally, they had no choice but to break the thing. And they found out what was, what was keeping the hand in there is that little boy's fist was wrapped around a shiny little copper penny. And he wouldn't let it go. Wouldn't let go of that penny. <laughs> Something you ought to let go of. Amen. But I thought about that silly story. I said, you know what? Some things is true. Some things is so true. We, we need to let go of. But you know what? There are many things that we need to clutch like that little boy clutching that penny. There, there, there are just many things in life. Many things that um, are worthy things. Are eternal things. Many traditions that are honorable. That keep families healthy and whole. Things that will matter a hundred years from now compared to things that won't matter a bit. There are certain... And you've got to fight for the good. It's easy to get lazy. It's easy to get slothful. Just meet the person that used to come to church. I mean, they don't hate Jesus. They just, they let go of the good. They just, it's easy to get lazy. Laziness is easy. Amen? The path of least resistance is the easiest thing to take. It's the most natural thing for this human being to take. And it takes a real commitment and endeavor and a willingness to hold on to the good. Even in the church. Even in the family, even in the nation. We have to hold on to the good and the virtuous. That of eternal values. Noble values. At times it does take a real effort and dedication to continue meeting together. Ministering to one another. Carrying out that outreach. Carrying out that ministry. The good is not always easy. Or convenient. In fact, often it's costly. And it's demanding. But the dividends 
are eternal and they're worth it. Can you say amen? Hold on to the good. Don't let the good slip away. Don't let it become neglected or fumbled. I was thinking about the old fumble drills we used to do when we played football. And sometimes every now and again they take the, the running backs and the receivers and everybody else would make a, a funnel. And you'd have to run through that line, amen? And they would be punching at that ball. They'd be ripping at your hands. And, and, and all you hear coaches yell, keep, hold on to that ball. Cover up that ball. Hold it like this. Get that elbow down. Keep going forward. And I thought about it. I said, man, you know, the world's just like that. Sin is just like that. You're trying to hold that which is precious and dear and what really matters most. A lot of things won't matter a bit in 50 years. And some things have an eternal value in 50 years, forever and forever and forever. You've got to hold on to the good, but it's easy to let it go. And that world trying to punch that ball out, amen? That world trying to twist those things. That world, oh, hold on to the good. Hold on to the good. Culture, society, and sin will try to dislodge faithful commitments, faithful devotions to what is pure and eternal, that which God has called us to hold and to cherish and to hold firmly and to hold dearly. Don't let go of the eternal things that God has given us to embrace. Oh, my. The marks of a living sacrifice. Number one, there is an authentic love for the people of God. Number two, there is an absolute stand for Bible morality. Hating the evil, but clinging and holding firm to the good. Amen? Hallelujah. And the last one, I'll just summarize. This time won't allow us. The third mark of a living sacrifice is marked by a real enthusiasm for God. Go ahead and look at verse 11 where Paul says now, never be lacking in zeal. Don't be lacking in diligence. But keep your spiritual fervor or your fervent spirit serving the Lord. Those that are a living sacrifice, their lives should have a certain type of excitement, enthusiasm, passion for their walk with Jesus and their work for Jesus and their witness for Jesus. There's something in them that's not lukewarm or, 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 or getting cool, but something that has an excitement and a freshness about it because that love for Him is fresh and that walk with Him stays fresh. Not lagging in diligence, but fervor. That word fervor actually means boiling. Boiling. It's boiling. A glow for God. Now again, I'm just going to make this one short. William Barclay writes, We must not be sluggish in zeal. There is a certain intensity in the Christian life. There's no room for lethargy in it. The Christian cannot take things in an easygoing way, for the world is always a battleground between good and evil. The time is short and life is a preparation for eternity. The Christian may burn out, but he must not rust out. Colossians 3 and 23. Paul writes it like this. Colossians 3 and 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Do it with some energy. Man, do it enthusiastically as you're working for the Lord and not for men. Came across this little thing Tony um, Evans wrote. He says, I'm a Tabasco man, a Tabasco man. He goes, anytime I eat virtually anything, I put Tabasco on it. When I go places, I enjoy discovering, you know, new kinds of hot sauce. He says, I love fire in my food. 
The absence of fire for me means a bland dish. It's just there. He goes on to write, Jesus loves fire. He wants a little hot sauce on the relationship that we cultivate with Him. He doesn't want the basic Christian meal offering of duty and service. He wants my passionate, pleasurable pursuit of Him. I read that and it reminded me of a, a piano tuner I met one time. Back in a church and um, had a beautiful baby grand piano. And I don't know, once or twice a year, whenever it was, this piano tuner came. And he came and must, the youth pastor wasn't there to take him to the sanctuary. The custodian wasn't around. So I got stuck taking the guy um, into the, to the um, auditorium. And as, as I took him there, he a hippie looking guy, hippie looking guy. You know what I mean? I mean, he, uh, he had the ponytail, the thin little thing, ponytail and, you know, uh, flip-flops on, it must have been summer, <laughs> flip-flops on. By the time he got up there on the, on the stage area, he had his shoes off. He's up there barefoot, ponytail, and this guy. But I'll tell you what, he told me more about tuning pianos than I ever need to know or ever want to know. Yes, Amen? As I walked him back, I mean, he just he was excited. I mean, he just... <laughs> he's under there, kicked them flip-flops off. He's underneath there, hitting this, explaining how this works and how that... Like, Oh boy, you know. Well, as soon as I figured he wasn't going to walk away with any of the sound system, I left him there and went back to my office. But I got to admit, he made, he, he made an impact on me. I walked back saying, I said, man, I hope I'm as, I'm as into my calling as he's into his. I walked away thinking, that little guy looks like he ought to be on a skateboard somewhere. You know what I mean? He should, he should have been. I mean, he just looked, you know, he just... And I know I did. He what an imp- impression he made on me. I still remember walking back, leaving back there again. Figured he wasn't going to run off with anything. Couldn't carry much with a little guy, but um, <laughs> he sounded honest enough. And I just walked back, thinking, Lord, I pray that I am as enthusiastic about my call as He is Amen. about tuning a piano. Amen. Amen. And that's just the, another mark that we can't get into zeal too much. But here, that's the mark. That's the mark. That's the mark. A life marked by enthusiasm with our walk with God and our work for God and our witness for God. We should have this mark. Amen? All right. All right. I'm gonna, we're going to close and we'll open the altar for prayer. But God is giving us some, some labels, some clear characteristics of a life that is holy after God. That living sacrifice Paul writes about. The marks of a living sacrifice. And we pray that our lives would just communicate clearly to the world around us. That we belong to Jesus. And we serve the Lord without shame and without apology. Amen? Alright. Stand with me please. We're going to close in a word of prayer. and Then we'll open the altar and sing our last song. If you're here today and things aren't right between you and God, please don't leave until you make them right. Please respond and let come down and let someone pray with you. If you're here today and you used to be on fire, there used to be that living sacrifice zeal in your life, and somewhere along the way you lost the glow. Your boil is no longer boiling for Jesus. And maybe you want to come and make a fresh altar and say, Lord, I, I just need to start getting things back in my eternal perspective. If you're here and you need prayer for whatever you need a touch in your body, you just need someone to pray with you about a situation, you're invited to come. But we pray, let's, um, sometimes these prayers at the end, I, I actually, 
right ahead of time because I'm meditating on what God would have us to end with. And so pray the prayer with, think through the prayer with me. Father, we thank you for the great salvation you've given us. Let us never be satisfied with mediocre Christian experience. Help us to truly appreciate and value what you have done for us through Jesus. May it motivate us to live wholeheartedly, unashamedly for you. Help us to really strive to be living sacrifices with the identifying marks that should accompany it. And Father, stir us in our faith and our devotion this morning and set us ablaze for the good and for your glory. Now, Father, move upon hearts, fill thirsty vessels, and heal all those that are hurting. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, sing this one time through before you go, and if you need prayer, come and respond to the call of the Spirit. Ooh.